Hello, hello, Stuart here, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. iFormerX is an online community of practice where ambulatory care and community pharmacists discuss the latest evidence that informs patient care. And if you're not already a member of iFormerX, it's easy to join and it's free to health professionals and students enrolled in health professional degree programs. To become a member, just visit our website at iFormerX.org and click on the join or sign in link, which is in that upper right of the navigation bar. And if you like this podcast, please be sure to rate us on your favorite podcasting app and leave a comment. In today's episode, we're going to revisit a recurring conversation we've had on iFormerX about the treatment of dyslipidemia. In one of the very first commentaries ever posted on iFormerX back in 2011, I made the argument that LDL targets were unnecessary and that patients should be treated with statin therapy based on cardiovascular risk. And in 2013, that's precisely what the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology recommended, that we treat based on risk and not to targets. The National Lipid Association, however, believed an LDL target approach was the most appropriate. So over the past decade, we seem to have oscillated between getting people on a statin at appropriate intensity and and then calling it a day and monitoring cholesterol levels and adjusting therapy, adding on therapy as needed to get patients to a specific LDL goal. Well, today the guidelines recommend in high-risk patients that we start with high-intensity statin therapy and then add treatment if needed to achieve a specific LDL target. But no clinical trial has specifically tested the hypothesis about the best approach until now. And here today to discuss the LODESTAR study, which compared a treat-to-target versus an intensity-based statin therapy approach, are Don Fouquet and her colleague, Dr. Catherine Barrett from the Providence Medical Group in Portland, Oregon. Dawn is the clinical pharmacy supervisor for the primary care pharmacy team, and Kat is a clinical pharmacy specialist, and they, and they both work with a variety of patients in primary care and specialty clinics. Dawn's been a member of our editorial board for over a decade now and has been a frequent contributor to iFormerX. So Dawn, welcome back, and Kat, it's great to have you here on the show as a first-time contributor. Welcome. Thank you, Stuart. I'm so pleased to be back again. Thank you. I'm very excited to contribute for the first time. So, Dawn, I'd like to start today's discussion by looking back and explaining why these two different approaches to statin therapy have been promoted at various points in time. When I was trained back in the early 1990s, the standard of care was to use relatively low doses of statins and then to titrate the dose based on response. And because the only statins we had available at the time, which were lovastatin and pravastatin, were relatively low-potency statins, it often took months to titrate the dose up. And the goal back then was to get the LDL cholesterol to less than 100 milligrams per deciliter. But starting in the mid-90s, a bunch of new statins were introduced, simvastatin, then atorvastatin, then rosuvastatin, which were higher potency and could reduce LDL cholesterol by 40, 50, even 60%. So why did we switch from a treat-to-target approach to a fixed-dose approach? 
what prompted the change and what was the evidence to support it and what are the potential advantages and disadvantages of the two approaches? So with regards to secondary prevention, I've always found the LDL goal strategy to be interesting as the early studies such as 4S and CARE, et cetera, used a fixed statin dose and really intended to examine if statins were even beneficial in lowering ASCVD events. Yet based on extrapolated results, the National Cholesterol Education Panel, as it was known back then, set a target LDL goal of less than 100 milligrams. And then Prove-It came along and really upended the apple cart. Suddenly, statin dose became very important, and the guidelines were updated to emphasize high-intensity statin use in patients with established cardiovascular disease. So cholesterol treatment strategies continue to be studied, especially non-statin therapy in combination with statins, which circled us back to maximizing LDL goal reduction. And after a few more minor goal clarifications, we arrived at the current recommendations that target either high-intensity statin or percent LDL reduction for these patients. Some of the major advantages to this blended target is the flexibility for clinicians to use the most appropriate treatment for their patient. So whether it's a high-intensity statin alone or some evidence-based combination of LDL-lowering agents such as ezetimibe or a PCSK9 inhibitor, providers have the option to kind of pick and choose, especially based on patient's response and tolerability. But one of the biggest disadvantages is that most of these patients have been on a statin for years, sometimes even prior to a cardiovascular event. So determining their baseline LDL to calculate a percent reduction is extremely challenging. A lot of these patients go from system to system, which finding that historical data is, again, difficult. So it does make a fixed statin dose more appealing. And then one more thing from a population health management standpoint, the blended treatment target makes designing a straightforward population health strategy much more difficult, creating those reports and defining the patient characteristics. So Kat, let's talk about the LODESTAR study. The, the study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA in March 2023, and its official title is Treat to Target or High-Intensity Statin in Patients with Coronary Artery Disease, a Randomized Clinical Trial. And we, of course, provide a link to that paper on our website, but can you give us a brief synopsis of the study methods and the key results? The LODESTAR trial was a randomized open-label study conducted across multiple centers in South Korea to explore whether adjusting statin intensity to achieve a specific LDL goal was non-inferior to a fixed-dose approach with high-intensity statins in patients with coronary heart disease. The primary endpoint for the study was a three-year composite of death, myocardial infarction, stroke, and coronary revascularization with a non-inferiority margin of three percentage points. Patients were randomly assigned to two treatment groups. In the group targeting a specific LDL goal of 50 to 70 milligrams per deciliter, statin-naive patients were assigned to a moderate-intensity statin dose with either atorvastatin 20 milligrams or rosuvastatin 10 milligrams. For patients previously taking a statin in this treatment group, 
their dose was maintained or increased based off of their LDL level at baseline. Patients assigned to the other treatment arm were assigned to a high-intensity statin treatment of resuvastatin 20 milligrams or atorvastatin 40 milligrams. The primary endpoint occurred in 8.1% of patients in the treat-to-target group and 8.7% in the high-intensity statin group, achieving non-inferiority. So the Lodestar study was randomized and it was prospective. The clinical and safety outcomes were adjudicated in a blinded manner, but for obvious reasons, the study participants and the clinicians caring for them were not blinded. And the study was relatively large with over 4,000 participants. And the primary outcome was a four-component MACE outcome. So the study clearly follows all of the, quote, gold standards for outcome-driven cardiovascular trials. But are there aspects of the study design and execution that we should be paying closer attention to? And are there any sources of bias or potential confounders that might have impacted the results? It was exciting to review this study, as it was the first published study that compared an LDL goal to a fixed-dose statin strategy. The investigators used azetamibe, which mirrors the AHA-ACC National Guideline recommendations. It would be nice to see PCSK9 inhibitors included, but it was definitely a step in the right direction. Yes, this is a large study, and without spoiling too many details, the baseline characteristics were comparable to other secondary prevention statin studies. Despite the size, there were some concerns in the statistical design, and so there was no precedent for setting the non-inferiority limits. Therefore, it is possible that the investigators were too generous in setting the upper boundary limit at three. Now, this is not an apples-to-apples comparison, but as an example, the FDA standard upper or lower non-inferiority boundary for MACE 3 or 4 with newer diabetes agents is 1.8. So 3 is fairly generous as a limit. The Lodestar would have benefited from either a larger population, a longer follow-up, or both. So what should we do in practice? The study suggests that a treat-to-target approach isn't harmful. In fact, it fared a bit better, but it's not superior why not just start with a low or moderate dose and titrate to a goal as needed, as was done in the treat-to-target group? Do you think fewer patients would stop statin therapy if we took a start-low-and-go-slow approach? Or do you think clinical inertia would be a major barrier to achieving optimal outcomes? There are a number of reasons the patient or the provider may be worried about starting a high-intensity statin from the get-go. Whether it's a concern for side effects or drug-drug interactions, I think it's great that we may be able to approach these situations with an alternative approach to starting therapy. Patients who were started on a higher dosage strength or a higher intensity statin and may have experienced myalgias or arthralgias in the past, that may impact their willingness to restart and may reduce their adherence. With outcomes of this trial suggesting non-inferiority, we can consider the start low and go slow approach in secondary prevention, but it would require appropriate follow-up with labs and active titration. Yes, and I remember way back when we were targeting an LDL goal, how clinicians would often forget to titrate therapy, and it was usually not intentional. It was, as you see the patient for follow-up or we get labs, there are other 
priorities that the patient might have that derails the plan of the provider. And this happens today. It took a focused effort to get the population as a whole to achieve LDL goal. A blended target where the clinician can even direct patients to a self-titration as tolerated may improve adherence to guidelines and it may lower the ASCVD risk of the population better than one set goal. That being said, as I mentioned before, implementing and measuring this strategy from a population health standpoint can be a logistical headache. Well, Kat, Dawn, I'm so pleased that you agreed to review this study and write a commentary for iFormerX. I'm not sure this study will change what most people do in practice, but it's reassuring to know that starting with a lower dose and titrating to target is unlikely to be harmful, so long, of course, as you continue to monitor regularly, titrate the statin dose, and add therapies as needed to get patients to goal. Well, tell us what you do in practice. What approach do you favor and why? If you want to leave a comment, head on over to iFormerX.org and sign in. Only members of iFormerX can leave comments and, and use the interactive feature, so become a member today. It's free. And if you are a board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist and you want to earn board recertification credit and continuing education credit for listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary, you can through the American Pharmacists Association. We've partnered with APHA to create the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series, which is part of their board prep and recertification program. To learn more, just click on that link at the bottom of the written commentary on our website. And lastly, I'd like to thank Christy Butler, who is the manager of the primary care pharmacy team at Providence Medical Group and Dawn and Kat's boss. And I want to thank her for her steadfast commitment to expanding the role of ambulatory care pharmacists and being a frequent contributor and supporter of iFormerX. If you're not already aware of all the great things that pharmacists do to contribute to patient care at the Providence Medical Group, I encourage you to check them out. If you're looking for a great place to complete your residency training, well, this is one of the premier programs in the country, in my opinion. And the graduates have gone on to do some pretty awesome things. So thank you, Christy, for leading an amazing group of clinicians and for supporting iFormerX and for being a leader in our profession. Until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Music